You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Raya and the Last Dragon. All right, guys, remember what we're looking for, and don't trust anyone. Hey, baby, where are your parents? Hey, uh, who's baby? What? Really? A con baby? Impressive. We could use someone like you. Let's catch you up. My name is Raya. Our lands have been at war for as long as we can remember. Our people never see eye to eye. My daughter, I believe our people can come together again. But someone has to take the first step. Now, in order to restore peace, we must find the last dragon. I wish to join this fellowship of butt kickery. Let's go. We'll have to watch our backs. We're not the only ones looking. Six years of searching. Please let this be it. Almighty Sisu! Who said that? We really need your help. I'm gonna be real with you. I'm not like the best dragon. Have you ever done like a group project, but there's like that one kid who didn't pitch in as much, but still ended up with the same grade? Uh, we're doomed. You and the dragon are coming with me. Hmm, my sword here says we're not. The world's broken. You can't trust anyone. Maybe it's broken because you don't trust anyone. You just have to take the first step. A shape changed. Dragons can do that? Look how close my butt is to my head. It's gonna make digestion so much faster. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Rhea and the Last Dragon, and the story is as follows. Long ago, in the fantasy world of Kamandra, humans and dragons lived together in harmony. However, when sinister monsters known as the Droon threatened the land, the dragons sacrificed themselves to save humanity. Now, 500 years later, those same monsters have returned, and it's up to a lone warrior to track down the last dragon and stop the Druun for good. The film is starring Kelly Marie Tran, Aquafina, Gemma Chan, Daniel Day Kim, Sandra Oh, Benedict Wong, Isaac Wang, Talia Tran, and Alan Tudyk. It is directed by Don Hall and Carlos Lopez Estrada, written by Kui Nguyen and Adele Lim. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Nicole Ackman. Hi, everyone. Daniel Howitt. Hello, hello. And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. All right, everyone. So here we are once again with a new film on Disney Plus, Premiere Access this time around. Got to pay the premium if you want to watch Rhea and the Last Dragon. Uh, this is a movie that I know when we first saw the teaser, a lot of us said, oh, wow, they're releasing this in March after the Oscar cutoff. But much like Onward, I guess, uh, this past year for Pixar, uh, Disney, I suppose, has confidence in this that if they even release it this early, who knows? It could contend maybe for awards later on down the line. But we're not just talking about its awards prospects today. Ray and the Last Dragon is for a lot of uh, Southeast Asian people a chance for them to feel seen on screen for representation. It is also another 
I, I don't know. Is she considered a Disney princess technically? Because they say that she's the princess of heart. So the thing is that Disney princesses are weird um, in that there is like a lot of technicality that goes along with it. And a lot of times at the time of a film release, we don't know if a character will be an official Disney princess yet or not. There's actually like an official like coronation ceremony that they typically do um, at the parks when a person is made a princess. Um, But so it's things like uh, Anna and Elsa are not official Disney princesses. Um, Moana is. Um, and a lot of that has to do with like licensing and how merchandise works. So um not sure if they will make Raya one, but I do think signs point to the fact that she will be made one. Like if you look at um Mulan and I believe Moana both are, and that kind of makes me think that even though she is this sort of warriory princess, they probably will end up uh you know, making her join join the princess gang. So we don't, I don't think we officially know yet, though. I don't think that they've said. And, you know, you mentioned Moana and Mulan here. That's another thing, too. If not uh, the princess angle, then at least we're getting this presentation of another badass animated female heroine from Disney. So that's really exciting and definitely something worth talking about here. So in terms of everyone's general thoughts on Rhea and the Last Dragon, I'm actually going to start us off with Daniel. Daniel, what did you think of this movie? So sometimes we talk about a film being formulaic uh, and that it's boring. We know it's coming and, and it does, doesn't work. Uh, I think Raya and the Last Dragon is a great example of a movie that is formulaic, but still works really, really well. Uh, you, you know exactly what you're getting with this movie. Um, it's it's a Disney movie. It's a Disney animated, whether we officially call it a princess movie or not. It, it, it falls into that same category, right? And that's not a bad thing. Those are great. And so this is another great Disney movie. Uh, and in, in fact, I think it helps that the movie feels familiar while stu- still doing a lot of new and exciting things. Um, I, I had not watched the trailer for this, so I knew very, very little, which had some big surprises and some little surprises. Uh, first and foremost, the action in this movie, specifically the hand-to-hand combat, is really really good it's so well animated it's a lot more visceral than than most animated movies which was really unexpected um and then the style of the movie overall is super unique it, it had you know the different kind of cultures in each part of the country the different landscapes and costumes uh so it just it just had really really great style and and the character work was really strong um again not having watched the trailer when aquafina's character shows up I was real thrown for a loop because that was just not what I was expecting. Um, uh, And so it felt like a very different movie. But then it settled in and and I I really actually loved her performance and the characters overall. So, So yeah, my overall thoughts on this movie, it is really fun, great action, really funny, a lot funnier than I was expecting as well. And really, really sweet. So it's it's like I said, another great Disney movie. Nice. Very, very nice. Josh Parham, what about you? I think I sort of echo a lot of those sentiments uh, that Daniel just said. I think that this movie is overall pretty good. Like, I had a really good time with it. I think it's very entertaining. And I think especially for family entertainment, it really gets the job done. The action particularly is very well done. I did like most of the voice performances. I do think that the conventions of this story did kind of get to me a little bit more, though. And it's not just how kind of familiar some of those themes are. It is, I think, actually some kind of fundamental storytelling problems I also have with the movie. Like, there are some things that are, like, brought up that I don't think are really resolved, or some people act kind of inconsistently throughout the movie. I do think there are 
other problems in the story besides it just being kind of familiar to me. And that does bring it down a bit. But on the whole, I still found myself pretty engaged with the characters. Uh, as I said, the action I do think is really, really well done. I think that's where the movie really shines. And yeah, it does have very basic themes that it's working with. But when they're executed well overall, I think that's not a bad thing. So this is a movie where I wouldn't necessarily rank it as anything high in the Disney canon, but as a solid piece of family entertainment, I enjoyed it. Okay. All right. Nicole. So first of all, I love um, Kelly Marie Tran, and I was so excited to see her get another role, and especially to see her get another role from Disney. Uh, so I was really excited for this movie. I also like, I love a Disney We'll say princess film, since that's probably what this is. Um, I was so excited for this, and I got to watch it with my family, which also was really exciting. Um, and I love this movie. I think I said in my review that it has sort of like the action of Mulan, but with the adventure of Moana. And I think for me, that worked really well. I think the characters are really fun. I think the vocal performances are really good. I think, uh, you know, like, like Dan was saying, I think the... Um, the action is really cool in it, honestly. Um, and I think it's something a little bit different, even though it is sort of follows that same formula, but it does it in a way that we haven't like really properly seen before. Like, I don't, I don't know that we've ever had a Disney princess who spends the entire movie pretty much in pants, which is kind of fun. Um, and obviously we've never had a, uh, Disney movie that's set specifically in this sort of Southeast Asian culture, even though it's not like exactly sure where this film is meant to be set, like what what place specifically. I do think that's that's really exciting to see something a bit different. Um, and I really, really love the visuals of this movie. Like I think the way that we get to see a bunch of different distinct lands is really fun. Yeah, I echo a lot of the same sentiment that is being said here. I love the adventure aspect of the story i mean the opening itself is uh after we get past the uh animated opening within an animated movie like with the paper mache like style of uh, animation we then get like this indiana jones like uh opening where she's like avoiding booby traps and she's getting over to the um what is it the the, the heart of the what do they call it the the, the dragon gem and it's it's a lot of fun in the very, very beginning. And, you know, even before that, you know, we got like this desert wasteland landscape and she's riding the armadillo. And <laughs> I got to say, that was so cool. Really quick about the armadillo. <laughs> I loved it when he was really, really tiny. That was like the cutest animated uh, uh, animated animal sidekick I have seen in a long time. Not so sure how I felt about the oversized big version, but when he was little, holy crap, I wanted a stuffed animal so badly. Oh, I, <laughs> oh, I love both I'm of getting them. one. Like, I'm getting the stuffed animal. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I loved both of them, to be honest with you. And, like, look, we know that Disney has, like, a bona fide science when it comes to their adorable animal sidekicks, and sometimes it works better than others. I have to admit, it worked wonderfully. <laughs> every moment with him. I, I could have done with the whole movie just about that animal. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of uh, supporting characters in this movie uh Rhea encounters not just um you know this armadillo character uh who's uh with her from the beginning but also the character of uh sisu 
who is voiced by Aquafina and Dan, like you said, uh, kind of a bit of a surprise to you in terms mm-hmm. of the story development, which I find to be quite hilarious. <laughs> but <laughs> when she first appeared and started, you know, she's a, she's a super goofy character. I was like, whoa, what is happening here? This is not what I expected. Yeah, but it really works. I mean, you know, now we got to have like a Mushu Sisu showdown at some point. It feels like to find out who is the superior dragon. But right. <laughs> in any event, um, you have not just uh, that character, but you also have um, these other uh, supporting characters that join Rhea on her journey as well. So there's a lot going on in this movie, and I think that's my main criticism of it, is that there's a lot of supporting characters, there's a lot of exposition and mythology, and for the most part, I'm genuinely surprised that the movie is able to pull it off as well as it does, because it can be overwhelming, and it does feel like a lot to take in on a first viewing. Uh, but I do think after a second viewing, it is actually told in a way that is very... Um, succinct and feels um like it, it, it can definitely be i don't know absorbed by like a little 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 child but definitely between the ages of you know six to ten easily yeah i i think this story to this movie like it has a core that i do like and i do think that the themes that it is trying to convey are interesting and i like them in this context i do think though that there's something about its construction that does feel a little haphazard to me at times and i do think that when you look at like the names attached to this movie you know in your intro matt you said it was written by two people if you look at the story by credit there's like eight names jesus christ which to me yeah. signals that there probably was a lot of different ideas happening in this movie that all kind of got thrown in at once and Honestly, watching it, it kind of feels like that sometimes. Like I said in my opening thoughts, it does seem like there's moments where they kind of bring up an idea and it doesn't really get followed through all that much or one character will kind of act in a certain way and then it seems to go against what they do later. It it does feel like overall the movie doesn't have like the best construction and flow to it and that was kind of frustrating for me but it's a movie that i think in the moment has some really strong individual sequences that kind of help to pull you through to the finish line so on the whole i have issues with the way that the story is told but while i'm watching it i'm engaged enough to kind of go with it for the most part I mean, one of the things that, you know, is a very formulaic choice of Disney that we've seen time and time and time again is the introduction of a Disney villain. And to Raya and the Last Dragon's credit, the Disney quote unquote villain in this movie is not so much a one dimensional evil character. The character of uh, Namari is someone who is very well fleshed out and is given a lot of depth and complexity. And we get a great understanding of where this character is coming from. And we have sympathy for her. And it's one that I actually really, really appreciated just in terms of an evolution of storytelling, where the threat, the villain, the evil that they are having to confront this thing called the Jeroen, if you will, is more of an existential threat more so than anything and this movie is preaching to everyone that we need to come together despite our differences despite our mistrust of each other and i think that that's a worthwhile message to be putting out in the world in a children's film i agree i think um 
I think in addition to the themes, I think uh, one one issue that I have with it is uh, how, how, f- how it felt like it kind of freely took from a lot of other works um, with the different kind of nations. It felt almost uh, Avatar The Last Airbender E to me, you know, oh. um, hmm. uh, I, I was feeling that. And then even with some of the specific I don't want to kind of get too much into the into the uh, ending of the film, but a lot of elements towards the end. Uh, actually felt like it was borrowing from Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh my god, I, I thought the same exact thing. <laughs> yeah, it really that the ending. I won't. I won't. I guess we won't talk about how exactly, but uh, yeah, towards the end, kind of the way things wrap up was almost exactly the way that Guardians of the Galaxy wraps up at the end. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Even visually speaking, I had not even yeah. realized that. <laughs> oh my god, I, I I noticed it right away, and I think it had to do yeah. with the purple aesthetic of the of the Drune. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's what kind of triggered it in my brain a little bit, but yo, Dan, <laughs> spot on. Uh, but I, I have to admit, though, even despite that, I don't know about you guys, but there were a couple of moments in this movie storytelling where it caught me by surprise. There's a moment with Namari and Sisu that genuinely shocked me. There is that moment at the end where the themes of the movie in terms of trust and taking the first step to initiate that trust um, moved me. And I was very surprised by how moved I was by it, actually. And I thought in terms of just Disney's storytelling kind of coming together, like you said, Josh, eight writers working on the story and then two credited in the end. But I, I, I thought it came together uh, in the end and stuck the landing. I would say that overall, yes. I, I would agree that overall it kind of sticks the landing. And it's one of those examples where it's sort of like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, where if you mm. kind of just look at the individual elements that make up this story, I I have so many issues. <laughs> I, I really mm. do. But at the end of it, it's like I walk away, did I have a good time with that? I did. And some of that is due to the themes explored, but a lot of that is also due to some of the voice performances and uh, from some of the action sequences. Like, I really do think, like, that first sequence when they, like, find the stone and they have to escape and they're running away from the big cats, like, that whole sequence I thought was, like, so, so well done. And I was like, this is as good as any, like, regular quote-unquote action movie that I have seen. Oh, yeah, yeah. this is definitely, I think, the best action that uh, animated Disney movie has ever given us, easily. Mm -hmm. And I am a sucker for a good one-on-one climactic showdown fight between two characters. I love it in Star Wars Episode 3. I love it in The Matrix Revolutions. I love it in The Raid 2. I love it. I love it. I love it. I just love when two characters who have been built up come together in a final showdown clash. And this movie also gave me that. And I was like, yes. And there's like great buildup and anticipation to it. They got these great camera angles. It's emotionally driven. I was so, so into it. Yeah, that emotion is what I really responded to at the end between those two characters. That was really well done. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show 
and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hey there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. I also like I'm a sucker for a good like parent child dynamic in a movie. Oh, well then Disney's catnip for you then. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Why do you think I'm such a Disney person? Yeah. Um, and I think that this does that really well. And I also like that we actually see like two different examples of what seems to be like single parents in this movie, which I think is really interesting. Yes. Um, but I really like everything that they do with uh Chief Benja, uh Raya's father. And the way that they sort of mirror that with uh, Namari and her mother, I think, is is really interesting. You know, when they set up the relationship between Rhea and her father in the very beginning, and I was like, oh, this is very sweet. This yeah. is nice. He's dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, he could have died in a few minutes. <laughs> I mean, the mother's already out of the picture. So let's check yep. one for the. the yeah. Oh my gosh. Like you said, if you know the Disney formula, it's not that hard to figure out. <laughs> but <laughs> hey, you know, I have to admit for all of those moments, I think also another thing too that also helps this movie in terms of it not feeling so formulaic that it's like, oh, boring, we've seen this before, is the cultural aspect of it all. And it is something that feels fresh and new and not something that we've seen on screen before in this uh, style and animation. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really well done. The beautiful imagery. And, you know, it's Disney. We can expect that. But it is always nice to see them kind of tackle a different cultural landscape and apply it to one of their stories. And it that's always a very intriguing exploration when you can provide kind of this different imagery that is still in sort of familiar trappings, but allows you to at least appreciate a, a sort of unique perspective to this uh, very detailed world. I remember uh, this blew me away in Moana, and here we are now, this many years later, and I have to tell you guys, I am truly shocked at how good the water effects have become in animation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Holy crap, water plays actually an important part in this movie from, a story, from the story, and... I just was like, every time there was a sequence with water, I, my jaw like literally hit the ground. You know, it's like the characters are designed in a way to still look kind of cartoony, but in terms of like elements and environments, the animation that we are seeing today is just absolutely mind blowing. And it's just so incredible to see how far very difficult elements like that have come in this uh, medium. And I love how they're not simply, you know, recreating it and trying to make it look like live action, like Lion King. You know, I I, I loved the, one of the images that stuck with me is right from near the beginning of the film, uh, right after, you know, when, when they do the time jump. 
and her just rolling through the desert on uh, on Tuk Tuk, it, it, it was just a beautiful image. It's like Mad Maxi, and it was just kind of mm-hmm. this uh, stark landscape. Uh, it was dark. It was uh, moody. I I thought it was phenomenal. I saw the imagery throughout this whole throughout this whole film, uh, especially having distinct cultures. Again, kind of reminding me of Black Panther, but uh, you know, it just felt really, uh, yeah, it just felt different and distinct and really, really stylized well. Uh, what'd you guys think of the animation of uh, of Sisu in terms of the blue hair, uh, her in human form? What, what'd you guys think of like her character design and what Aquafina also brought to it? I, I think I'm actually maybe a little bit more mixed on Aquafina in this movie than some other people might be. Uh, the thing with with this character is that it sort of feels like, once again, a collage of a lot of different things that we've seen before. And sort of the impression I got is kind of like a genie from Aladdin mixed with, like, a, as we said, like an Eddie Murphy character like Mushu or Donkey or somebody. Like, kind of like that sort of funny sidekick with these magical powers. And I think that there are times where... A little bit of Aquafina goes a long way in this movie, I'm just going to say, <laughs> for me personally. There are some strong moments that I think that she does deliver really well, especially towards the end when there are some more emotional things that need to be um, communicated. I think that she does a really great job in her voice performance. But I will admit there were some times where when it went towards the more comedic that I could sort of take it or leave it at times. Yeah, the comedy in this movie didn't really land for me. And a lot of it, I think they attribute to her because they're obviously trying to do, once again, casting a comedic uh, character in this flashy role. Robin Williams, the genie, is what set the standard for this. And they've always been doing this in animated films ever since Disney. So... It's not like it's anything new, but at the same time, I wish the material itself was a little bit stronger in terms of the comedy. For me, it really grew on me Uh, that, like I said, I had no clue. I didn't even know what the character looked like before it came on screen. Uh, And so at first I felt the same way as you guys. It felt like, oh, this is this is too much. This feels like a completely different movie, but it it really did grow on me. the the humor actually really did work for me. Uh, I think that's the the biggest reason why it, why it grew on me. Uh, it bothered me at first because she's just she's super loud and super crazy in this in this uh, you know really uh, world that feels more grounded. But yeah, I think I think because the humor worked overall, she eventually uh, eventually grew on me. Two characters that did work for me in terms of their humor uh, was this uh, little kid, Captain Boone, and then an even <laughs> tinier kid, this uh, con artist, uh, toddler child. The con baby. <laughs> con baby. There you con go. Con baby. I, I, I love the humor that those two characters brought to the movie. The, the con baby is actually what didn't work for me so much. Uh, I, I, I It was fine. It's not like I hated it, but that just I, I didn't find that as funny as I found the other characters. Same, I agree with you. But man, Boone really worked for me. He, yeah, yeah. Every he was time great. he was on screen, he was cracking me up. But I also think one thing that I appreciated about both Boone and Sisu is that it feels like sometimes whenever Disney puts these like side characters into a movie that are meant to be funny, that's all they ever get to do. And I like that with both Boone and Sisu, we also did get some more serious moments with them. Like there's that moment um on the boat where Boone is talking about how He's lost his family. Um, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, 
uh, it, it really kind of took me by surprise because we don't always get that. And I think that I appreciated kind of having characters that were able to play both, you know, sorts of sides of that emotional scale. Um, but I, I agree with Dan. Like, Cece really worked for me, especially the first scene with her. Mm. I found really funny. Um, and sort of that opening stuff and and sort of how she reacts in more of like an action uh, sequence I really enjoyed. Um, there were moments that didn't work, but overall, I actually think it worked better for me than a lot of Disney characters that are sort of put there to be the comedic role. Oh, that's interesting because I would say I was the opposite with that character where her first introduction, I was a little bit like, eh, I, I don't know. Like, I could get what they're going with, but I wasn't totally on board. And then as the movie went on, I sort of acclimated to that character. And I think the emotional reveals that were being shown kind of made a stronger connection with that character as it went on. Where, yeah, in the beginning, I actually didn't really like the character too much, but I sort of got used to her shtick. And I think the writing for the character got stronger as the story progressed. I'm with Josh on this one. I felt the same way. Like I said, by the end of the movie, I was surprised by how moved I was uh, by it all. And I attribute that mostly to uh, the emotional element of the story and the character work. You know, I think that there's a lot of that going on here. It's so much so to the point that I wish there was fewer side characters. So this way, maybe they could have been able to give um, other characters more time. But I'll never say no to Benedict Wong in a movie ever. (laughs) (laughs) although it's like basically the exact image of what you think a benedict wong character in this movie would be yeah (laughs) Yeah. isn't that true yeah like when that character showed up and i figured out it was benedict wong is like okay yeah makes sense that's what you cast him for (laughs) (laughs) oh man uh what'd you guys think of james newton howard's score for this movie because I got to admit, I was a little underwhelmed by it, maybe because it didn't have any memorable, hummable themes necessarily. Oh, well, I very much disagree. I think the music is incredible in this movie. I think that, yeah, like, I don't necessarily think a music like music needs to be memorable afterwards. It just really needs to work in the moment. And I think that music underscores so many great things like the action is better because of the music. The emotions are better because of the music. There's this particular moment. I would say at the resolution of the finale, we won't say what that is, but there is a big musical cue that happens that just like got me so invested and so kind of like hyped up at the conclusion of this uh, emotional arc that I think the music is really, really strong in this film. For what it's worth, that's my favorite track in the movie as well. I, I guess really the problem I had with it was it works fine within the movie. I don't disagree with that, Josh, but like afterwards... I don't know. There was something about it for me. A score, a score is something that for me, I, I needed to work outside of the movie as much as it does in the movie. But that's just a personal preference thing. So, final thoughts on Raya and the Last Dragon. Nicole, I'm going to toss it off to you first. Anything that we did not go over that you want to mention or reiterate? Two things. One, I think that this film kind of comes at an interesting time and in that. A lot of it is sort of about learning to trust people again after being betrayed and living in a world that is so broken, uh, which I think is interesting. Like as we sort of are starting to think about 
coming out on the other side of the pandemic as we're sort of in the United States reeling after uh, what we've been through politically after the past, you know, four years or more. Um, and so I think that the themes really resonated with me in a way that I didn't expect um, in, you know, sort of as I've been dealing with, well, how do we move on after the pandemic whenever we saw how some people handled it? Uh, and I think that it really spoke to me. The other thing I do want to give a shout out to is that this film, very interestingly, is actually accompanied by a short uh, made by Disney uh, or, you know, Walt Disney Animation Studios, uh, which is called Us Again. And I was so blown away by that short. Um, mm-hmm. Funny enough, partially the animation of water in it, um, but also the the way that light is animated in it, like in, in terms of uh, like neon signs, I thought was really astounding. I actually like watched it twice. Um, and I would highly recommend for anyone who is watching this on um, Disney Plus. Eventually, the short will be put on Disney Plus as well. I'm not positive when. Um, and in theaters, it will have the short with it. But definitely make sure that you check that out because I think it's it's a really, really well done short and something also a bit different that I, I really hadn't seen that much like it before, especially in, in sort of uh, uh, the way that some of the animation was done. So want to give a shout out to that as well. Nice. Yeah, I just want to agree with that that short film is really good and it made me think like can we like give an oscar for best score to a short film like that that music you man you want to talk about memorable pieces of music like i am still humming that that melody and there's not even like any words to it it's so good i don't disagree i totally am on board with you guys with that it's pretty phenomenal stuff and we'll definitely i hope be in contention uh for next year's award season hopefully yeah Daniel, what about you? Yeah, I, I was uh, planning to bring up the short as well. I, it was <laughs> phenomenal. Uh, it's it's so gorgeously lit. Uh, Nicole's exactly right. It, it's like it's got this melancholy aspect to it, but it's also really just joyful and fun. Uh, so yeah, us again is the short, and it, it's it's phenomenal. Uh, as far as Ray and the Last Dragon, uh, I I was luckily enough to, to see this in a theater and and uh, I, I wish more uh, you know it just sucks that we're in a pandemic so so obviously be safe and uh uh make wise decisions but if it is safe uh man this was really awesome to see on a big screen the action was phenomenal the imagery just popped it, so uh i had an amazing viewing experience so i think that really aided to how much i really really enjoyed this film because like we've all said, the visuals, the action, those are easily the strongest part of this movie, even though the story is good, too. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's what really made me love the film. All right. And Josh Parm. I think I've said most of my thoughts. I think that this is a movie that, as I said before, is pretty good. Like you will have an entertaining time with it. It's not. I don't think necessarily that groundbreaking from a storytelling perspective. And I do think that there are even some things within the story that just aren't as strong in execution. And that does hold it back for me. But at the end of the day, I sort of walk away from the movie feeling like I was entertained by what I saw. I think that especially with those action sequences that are so well done and the voice performances that overall are pretty strong. Like, I don't think it's necessarily something that is a great, like it's not a great piece of cinema to me, but it's very good. And I can easily recommend it to people. 
All right, so for my final thoughts here, I uh, really love the long prologue uh, from Rhea's perspective of her childhood. I really like the setup between the relationship between her and Namari, her father. It's just really well done to help us get emotionally invested, and it goes on for a very long time, and I'm glad that they didn't uh, skimp on it. Um, I also uh, was... I just want to reiterate that I am very, very happy for Kelly Marie Tran uh, to get this opportunity, and I think she does a phenomenal job uh, with it as well, and she deserves a lot more than I think that she has been given over the last couple of years, to say the least, so I'm really, really happy for her with this movie where it feels like she's front and center, and a lot of the voice uh, actors in this movie, too, even though I, I overheard that there was some controversy that despite the fact that this movie is primarily taking place uh, in Southeast uh, Asian territories, a lot of the cast members themselves are, uh, you know, not Southeast Asian. So I like, I I get it. But at the same time, um, I do think that they all brought something uh, very good to their roles. And, you know, it's a big cast of uh, very strong, recognizable names here as well. Gemma Chan, uh, we know from uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, Sandra Oh is also here as well. And everybody just kind of works in harmony together, I think, to deliver something that is pretty good overall. Um, the buying stuff on credit scene, I hope will become a meme someday because that is just... <laughs> that was great. Oh my God, that was so funny. <laughs> Beef jerky? I, 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 that was like one of those like reoccurring comedy bits that I thought was like silly at first, but they just kept bringing it back. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, it grew on me over time. Or wore you down. <laughs> one of the two. Also, too, Captain Boone's uh, confidence and suave way of like talking. I loved that so much because that's how I used to talk as a kid. I just always had like a salesman instinct about everything it was that I did and was always like presenting everything in a like a so over here we have, you know, it just so I really believe you, Matt, that uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, not great, but also very good. Uh, this is the definition of a very strong seven out of ten for me. Nicole, what is your grade out of ten? I, because I think the animation itself pushes it up for me and kind of makes up for some small issues that I have with the plot, I'm an 8 out of 10. Daniel Howitt. I am also an 8 out of 10. Josh Parm. I am going to be a 7 out of 10. All right. And then for Raya and the Last Dragon for Oscar potential, I mentioned earlier that, you know, like maybe like the way Onward has come out in the spring of last year and made it all the way to the end of the year. Granted, it was a really, really light year for animation. Are we heading for another situation this year? My gut says that we're not because animation is one of the few areas of uh, filmmaking that actually can continue during the pandemic without much uh, stopping its uh, path. So I'm curious to know, do you guys think that Ray and the Last Dragon has the ability to get all the way till uh, next year's Oscar season? I think... I think it's really strong. I think it's strong enough to to last the year. the The problem is it does have competition from within Disney. Unless it's pushed, it's got um, Encanto, uh, which is coming out in November. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's going to immediately overshadow this one uh, if it's good, of course, uh, along with Luca from Pixar. So, so just knowing only those three contenders, I don't know what other animated films are coming out. I I still feel pretty safe in thinking that Raya can last all the way to a nomination. I think it'll be 
pretty challenging for it to win. Uh, but I do think it's relatively safe for a nomination. I agree. And I also think that Disney, particularly with their animated films, has a way to make a film sort of stay in the cultural conversation for a long time. Like, let's be honest, we know that they're probably going to go absolutely over the top merchandising this film. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised to see them, you know, start incorporating stuff from it into the Disney parks whenever they reopen, keeping it in the press. Uh, which I think can help it in a way that, you know, most like live action films sort of uh, have a, I guess I would say like a shorter shelf life. Um, So I I definitely wouldn't count it out, um, especially, you know, not really knowing for certain what is going to come out this year. But I also don't think that, you know, Disney and Disney and Pixar combined, like getting three spots in the category is, you know, something that couldn't happen. So I, I really do think that it, you know, is a, a good contender for a nomination, if not for a win. Yeah, um, I, I agree, actually. I think the way that the field is looking right now, as of today, it's looking pretty good. Uh, but obviously, early days, super early days, maybe the earliest days. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I do think that like this movie has a better shot than most of the movies that we're going to see coming out, you know, in the next month or so uh, in terms of still being in the conversation by the time the Oscars roll around. I don't know. I don't know, Nicole. Boss Baby 2 is coming out. <laughs> so watch out now. <laughs> Just because anime and movies, I think, are a little bit better sometimes at uh, lasting um, long enough to make it into that conversation because it is in some ways like a smaller category. I mean, voters' kids will watch the movies 20 plus times mm-hmm. throughout the year. That's how they last. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They can't escape voters' minds. Yep. Yeah. Which is why Just the... Sing from Trolls World Tour is still in my nomination because <laughs> I've seen the movie a thousand times. <laughs> Says the parent of the podcast here. Exactly. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, That will conclude our review of Raya and the Last Dragon here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Nicole Ackman, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Nicole Ackman 16. Josh Parham. You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Daniel Howitt. I'm on Twitter at HowittDK. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment. Rate us five stars. We really appreciate the feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snider and Huey Lewis, 
punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.